HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi there, this is Severn and this is Greenhorns Radio. We're on every Thursday at 4 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. It's made possible by Hearst Family Ranch. And I'm joining you today on the telephone from Oakland, California. And I'm actually sitting here in the car in traffic with my friend Rusty Davis, who um, I'm going to interview today. Hi, Rusty. Hi there. Um, so... So on our on our video, on our radio program, we often interview young farmers around the country who are doing good works and who are um, contributing to the uh, retrofitting, reclaiming, and restoring of the American food landscape. And Rusty is actually a pretty amazing activist when it comes to moving um, to moving territory. He um, he runs a, a independent contracting business, I guess, um, doing key line key line plowing on agricultural landscapes. Um, Rusty, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, uh, Keyline, uh, what that is, is essentially uh, working with uh, the contour of slope and uh, doing soil restoration, uh, carbon sequestering to mitigate global warming, um, as well as uh, getting water to infiltrate to help out our salmon watersheds here in California. Um uh, so I, um, also, what I do is I'm a second-generation organic farmer, so I help on our small organic vineyard, uh, helping with the grapes, and I do a small uh, market garden as well. So I'm a consultant, and I'm a small farmer as well. So. And so most of your clients, Rusty, they're hiring you um, to do work with your equipment and with your expertise to to do irrigation work or to to enhance the water water carrying capacity of their land, or what's the major um, impulse that people are that people are? Why are people hiring you? Uh, there's a bunch of reasons. Sometimes I do just uh, purely drought proofing properties. As you know, that California is in a severe drought, so I've been really busy working on um, combination of techniques to get uh, wells to recharge, springs to emerge um, through doing uh, like a mechanical technique of doing a contour swale, which is basically a lens of water, a puddle of water on landscape, on, across the landscape, which is great for planting trees and reforesting uh, barren landscape over compacted uh, ground that us humans are fairly good at compacting land um, with vehicles, be it tractors, um, houses, and whatnot. So, um, 
basically trying to slow water down and infiltrate it into the land and nourish our uh, underground aquifers and feed the root systems of emerging trees. So I'm doing a lot of uh, uh, reforestation, food forests, and then also on uh, the larger landscapes uh, for uh, grazing land. I'm working with a handful of farmers on uh, trying to restore their pastures to a much more vibrant uh, ecological system um, through um, rotational grazing. But more so what I'm, I'm out there doing is just uh, consulting on how to work the land and uh, relieve compaction through a key line plow, which is essentially a non-inversion plow. Um, you know, just working on, you know, that's a buzzword in agriculture today is, you know, no-till, low-till. And the reason for that is um, uh, our country is actually based on uh, the moldboard plow, and actually that was used to devigorate the soil to kind of... Um, you know, thinking back at the bison um, meadows, you're looking to farm like eight foot tall native bunch grass. And how do you do that as a farmer with, the, with basically an oxen? You know, so you, it's kind of daunting. So actually, devigorating the soil would be a, a good thing to do. And that's where the mulberry plow was used in this country is to actually slow the soil down and turn it over. But what happens when you turn the soil over? You really devigorate the the soil strata and whatnot, and actually, um, almost like that gradation that you see along the stream, what happens is, uh, uh, you know, you have like the silt and the pebbles and the, and then up to like the larger pea gravels and whatnot. There's always that natural gradation in the soil on a much finer scale, but when you turn it over, it really um, messes up and it has to re-stratify, and you end up with all these compaction layers and whatnot, and you're also killing microbial activity when you um, do a lot of turning of the soil. So what we're trying to do is um, mit, uh, limit the amount of soil disruption and maximize the amount of, amount of water infiltration. Um, so that's what I'm working on. Um, yeah, so we were just driving around. Um, we were just driving around yesterday in western Sonoma County looking at a lot of overgrazed pasture land and in the springtime in California in April, you know, the hillsides are covered with um, orange California poppies and lupins and um, pentamen and um, Indian paintbrush and all sorts of beautiful wildflowers. But what happens is that those um, annual grasses that go so green in the spring, they dry up and then you get the golden hills um, in the summer and autumn. And obviously if you're raising dairy cows, and you have heavy creatures with big udders wrangling around on your hill slopes, then you do tend to have quite a high impact on that on those soils. So Rusty's work is a lot of going into those quite heavily impacted areas, um, um, and a lot of times the ex-dairy and um, rangeland areas, and moving the water in a different pattern and helping the water penetrate the land, and then re, um, re-infiltrate and, and restore the kind of capillary action of the soil. Is, is that sound right to you, Rusty? Oh, yeah, exactly. That's essentially what we're doing. You know, through reforestation, planting, especially on the um, uh, riparian areas of streams and whatnot, trying to mitigate the amount of silt 
That's a really big problem in our area. We have a lot of uh, silt running into our uh, salmon watershed, and what happens is silt uh, basically cements uh, the, the gravel, so the fish are not able to use their tails to get their eggs where they need to down into the gravel, and uh, so their eggs can be successful at hatching into small salmon. So it sounds very sweet, all these small salmons and um, delicate ecological diversity ideas. But, in fact, Rusty uses um, quite a hmm, massive arsenal of tools, many of which are powered by uh, diesel and veggie diesel. And um, I think, how many tractors do you have, Rusty? Oh, I have about four tractors. Um, I share a few. And then, um, yeah, I run excavators, uh, building small ponds and larger ponds, you know, rent equipment as well. Um, just trying to create, uh, you know, water storage. Sometimes it's just creating a little bit of, uh, like a frog pond, vernal pool idea, just to create a little more life in the landscape and just get the natural succession of uh, wildlife doing their thing, you know, to really increase your farm or your property. And, um, yeah, it definitely brings in the nutrient cycling of, you know, because uh, farming is not a, a container. You're, you're really trying to... Uh, uh, expand the, the natural wildlife food web. There's more than, you know, just what you see on the surface. There's a lot of, um, uh, you know, just the hawks and the spitters and, you know, the foxes and all the animal terrestrial life. Their interactions are very key for a healthy, larger scale, like a, a rangeland uh, uh, nutrient cycle. So we talk a lot about um, we talk a lot about inputs and outputs and how in sustainable agriculture to minimize the off-farm inputs that we in and minimize the petroleum costs that those inputs represent. So on a practical level, what that means is we want to create our compost and our bio biomass on the farm. We want to um, preserve mass that exists within the soil and and maintain the quality and character of our of our soils and of our farm by treating it really like an organism. And so that organism, as the farm gets bigger, as it's a range farm, um, you're really wanting to cultivate that very diverse and interconnected web of creatures who, you know, hang out on your land. And, um, you know, particularly in, in, in gopher country, um, having, having a healthy raptor population cruising over your land and patrolling and, and eating... <laughs> gophers on your land is very important so that your cattle don't fall into gopher holes and stumble and break their legs and have to be shot. So the real economic impact of managing um, the, wild, the wild players in your system um, is quite substantial. And, and in fact, you know, this work, which sounds, you know, pretty ideal, pretty ideal like, you know, moving, moving the land around and, and doing large-scale sculptural projects, basically, of, of moving water through land, uh, has a real economic value, and, and that translates into um, a job for you, right? I mean, how much do people pay you, Rusty? Uh, I generally get paid like $90 an hour. Um, yeah, that's usually the going rate. Um, and I'm, you know, swamped. I'm actually looking for people to train and expand my business. Um, yeah, especially with the drought and even actually with the economy, people are realizing their priorities, like what money they do have left they would like to really um, you know, drought-proof and create a, a long-lasting legacy on their land that's going to support their family and quite possibly generations to come. Um, you know, 
basically real wealth is, you know, happy, happy soil system, you know, um, as well as the design and, you know, the roads that are put in, you know, it's a really smart design concept, you know, not just going in and blazing through, specifically like a new property, taking time to get to know it and building that intimate relationship. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, I guess that's one of my gifts is being able to um, kind of read landscape and integrating heavy equipment, kind of fighting fire with fire, I guess you could say. Um, you know, coming in with a lot of diesel fuel, biodiesel fuel, and um, moving a lot of dirt around um, in a way that's going to actually benefit the long-term use of the land and then ideally phasing out the tractor. That's what I would like to see is actually basically creating a situation where I'm out of work. So that's my dream. <laughs> we dream of making ourselves obsolete as young farmers, of being so much a servant of, um, of change and progress that then, uh, you know, you don't have to work. It's like um, Bill Mollison always says, plant the garden so you can just lie in a hammock and the fruit falls into your mouth. Um, but Rusty and I, uh, you should cut that out. <laughs> um, Rusty and I met actually because of veggie oil. I was cruising around visiting farms in California. How long was that? Like five years ago or seven? Uh, that was like six years ago. Like, yeah, 2001. And um, I was cruising around in a veggie-powered truck um, visiting farms up and down California, and I met Rusty because I, why did I meet you, Rusty? Um, let's see, I think we met. We met, I was doing a conversion at the Health and Harmony Festival in Santa Rosa, California. I was converting a, a small delivery truck. Actually, it was quite, it was a little bigger than small. It was a mid-sized delivery truck, the vegetable oil. Uh, you know, they were doing an um, organic food catering company, and, uh, you know, they wanted to support uh, the use of alternative fuel. That was at a time, actually, when biodiesel was not readily available and in any uh, large quantity, um, and I was doing a lot of promoting, and um, I guess my father called me the pan piper of veggie oil in the States. I did a lot of work um, converting, you know, people's vehicles and running workshops, teaching, and, um, yeah, did a trip down to Central America just promoting the use of veggie oil fuels. I heard it was possible. I put vegetable oil in a diesel fuel tank. At that time, I had actually given up. Uh, cars. Um, I was kind of an idealistic in college. I uh, went to the bicycle modality and doing my permaculture work I realized I needed to actually kind of get with the times and get out there and help people and I needed a vehicle so this was my way of doing it. It was to get into vegetable oil and just kind of that direct way. Um, so that was exciting and I still do alternative fuel consultation work um, periodically. But. When I... Um so Rusty grew up on a farm uh, in Sonoma County, and really beautiful, right next to the Russian River um, biodynamic vineyard. And he had spent a lot of, of his childhood playing with cars and engines. And then when he kind of, you know, when his father's still farming and, and he's not yet ready to take over the farm, it seems like there was a transitional period where you were doing a lot of kind of farm, and you're still doing a lot of farm-oriented and farm-based Work, but not necessarily only for your for your family. Can you can you comment on on how you know growing up on a farm got you um, put you in a position of being able to make a living not only from your own farm? 
Um, well, for one, I mean, just growing up on a farm and, you know, particularly with grapes, you know, California is doing all right at the moment. So there, we have a little bit of extra abundance as far as, you know, a few extra pieces of equipment or, you know, um, you know, my father's a really giving person. So that's kind of helped me jumpstart my business. Um, but yeah, just growing up on a farm, I'd say I, I would, you know, have a natural inclination for mechanics and, um, running equipment. I think dirt bikes helped a lot. You know, sometimes when you're on a tractor, it's a lot of just hand-eye coordination. Um, you know, I think probably a kid growing up doing a lot of video games would be perfect. That's kind of what I'm looking for at the moment. <laughs> Hold on. We have to pay the toll. And I'm going to talk about the fact that this is Greenhorns Radio, and we are radio for young farmers, by young farmers, um, coming to you live from the um, Bay Bridge going over San Francisco Bay in California, sunny California, where the skies are blue. It's 73 degrees, although it's a little hotter in the car right now. And um, Rusty and I are going over to drink ourselves a coconut smoothie. We just um, we just came, we just drove up from uh, Fremont, California, which is about half an hour south of, well, more than half an hour. Well, the way we drove, it took us about an hour um, south of Oakland. And it used to be a, an agricultural community that has recently, in the last 30 years, turned into a suburban, very densely settled suburban district. And we were interviewing Aaron Dillon, who's a fourth-generation citrus nurseryman. He's 33 and loves to surf and is a real smart, has a master's degree in urban planning um, and land use issues. And he um, he was our uh, interview of the day for the Young Farmers movie, which is The Greenhorn, our documentary about young farmers that we're um, producing. So if you want to know more about our film or the work that we're doing, um, read about our events and upcoming projects, you can go on our website. It's www.thegreenhorn.net, and I'd like to take this time also to talk a little bit about a few of our upcoming events that you should jot down in your calendar if you can. First of all, tomorrow night, Friday, um, April 17th, is an exhibit opening at Stan. It's a. It's called the Rising Tide Conference, and it's co-hosted by CCA and Stanford University. It's an environmental arts installation um, or a collection of different installations and exhibits that move between those two campuses and is associated with a whole bunch of lectures and happenings and installations and performances. And uh, our performance is tomorrow night, and it's called Land, Liberty, Sunshine, Stamina. It's an exhibit of the produce of young farmers, so seeds and stems, um, smocks and socks and all different kinds of artworks and crafts that that young farmers have produced on their on their land or the land that they are um, renting from others. Uh, another upcoming event to know about is our tree planting party on May 9th. That's in upstate New York. If you want to come and join uh, digging holes and planting planting trees, you should email us at farmer at thegreenhorns.net. Also, on June 20th, we have a goat spit in Brooklyn. That's a street party event 
in Cobble Hill District on the corner of Sackett Street and Henry Street in Brooklyn, New York. And we have goat, organic goat, and beer, organic beer. And then um, entertainment by the Church of Stop Shopping. That's an event co-hosted by the Greenhorns, uh, Diner, uh, Diner Journal, the Church of Stop Shopping, and Super Forest NYC. And I think we are, we're working really hard on getting some more bicycles involved. We don't have that confirmed yet. Uh, okay, I think I might have run out of time, but let's just ask Rusty a couple more questions. Um, Rusty, can you talk? <laughs> can you talk about um, the basics, the very, very basics of veggie oil, so that people know what that is? Because I think a lot of people would love to know a little bit about very, very basics. And then also maybe you could mention some rock stars who use veggie fuels. Okay. Um. Yeah, vegetable oil fuel was the original uh, diesel, Rudolph Diesel, designed the diesel engine to run on peanut oil. So, um, and then the petroleum industry quickly got into um, uh, switching it over and a less refined diesel, uh, petro uh, gasoline is essentially diesel, and so they just used that instead. Um, and... Veggie oil fuel has always been used, and there was never a time when it wasn't being used, but it definitely got very thin in, in the last uh, 20 years. And some of the work I've been doing and my uh, comrades have been uh, just resurging that movement and just knowing that uh, you can, as a farmer, grow your own fuel, uh, putting that word out, putting the word out that we don't need to uh, go to war to uh, fight for petroleum, we can, you know, farm it in our backyard. Obviously, we need to work with alternative fuels, particularly uh, soil-based fuels with a grain of salt because, um, you know, you don't want to be uh, in competition with food, people getting hungry. Um, that could happen quick. You know, in this country, we have a little bit of surplus, so we can definitely uh, rock out and get our trains biofueled and uh, some of our more efficient vehicles and buses and uh, ride bikes more, obviously. What, what, you're, what, what I'm doing with the veggie oil fuel vehicle is heating up the vegetable oil to 160 degrees, and essentially it has the same uh, mist pattern as uh, diesel fuel, or we're working with the Elsbit company in Germany, who hand builds engines as well as retrofits existing engines to be able to run on um, vegetable oil as long as it's uh, liquid at ambient temperatures. So basically the story is that the diesel engine runs on compression, and the compression is basically like a tube, and the tube um, gets a little spray into it, and the spray has to be in a certain pattern so the even spray creates an even compression. So when you heat the fuel you're ensuring that the spray pattern through the nozzle is the same. Wait, okay, you just let me fix my fix my problem. Fix what I said, Rusty. Oh no, I just wanted to add to it and just mention, you know, the difference between a gasoline engine and a diesel engine is that um, uh, diesel relies on compression for the ignition of the fuel to actually get the uh, the to, to light, light the bomb, basically, light the explosion. Uh, instead of using a spark plug, it's actually purely the, the pressure. And what's needed is a uh, finely misted um, uh, fuel of some sort to actually combust. So it has to be fine. That's why temperature is the issue for the misting. So if basically if you're running cold veggie oil, which is what I was doing this winter in my veggie truck, uh, my veggie Mercedes wagon um, in New York, 
where it was really cold. I had to put in I had to put in fuel additives. I think it was like butane or something because I just couldn't get my fuel um, my fuel to, to go in the winter. But oh dear, <laughs> you may want to cut that off the show. But the basically the the issue with vegetable oil is you have to get it hot so it can be liquid, and you want it hot and liquid and like as fine as possible so that it's smooth and buttery, and that way it goes through the mister. So, I have a question for you, Severin. Okay. I mean, from you, you've been running vegetable oil fuel probably just about as long as anybody I know. Would you recommend that to, you know, the average person um, that's thinking about getting a car or maybe already has a car and they want to go alternative fuel? Um, I don't know. It's a slightly <laughs> loaded question. Yeah, well, it's a good one. I mean... Certainly, I was living in California for the beginning of my veggie career, and I was, you know, 20 years old and really gung-ho about not even kissing any boys who ran petroleum. <laughs> like, I never really did the whole bike thing except for in, in Berkeley briefly. For Well, I did bikes for two years. I was only on bikes. But before that, I was in L.A., and in L.A., you can run veggie oil all the time because it's so goddamn hot that you don't even have to switch fuels a lot of the time, and the pavement's so hot, and the fuel is hot, and there's just, at that time, you know, there was so much veggie oil around. I mean, there was something like 13 McDonald's restaurants within four miles of, of our organic farm, so there was just plenty of fuel, and these days it's really changed, and, um, you know, the best waste vegetable oil has been claimed by awesome, you know, veggie fuelers, so... You know, even towards the end of my road tripping days on veggie oil, you'd roll into, like, Boulder, Colorado or Telluride or, you know, Moab or, you know, Taos or anywhere that was kind of hip, and there would just be no fuel because there was somebody who was collecting it and filtering it and using it. And um, But if you're more sedentary and you're not, you know, a grease rambler, you're just kind of a home turf greaser, then you set up those infrastructures for yourself and you have a, a relationship with the restaurants. Um, I have a really awesome relationship right now. Um, it's like a total blessing. I, at one point, swore I would never do veggie oil again. Um, I think it was a point where I was back behind a restaurant in like some horrible suburban strip mall, you know, seeing basically the dirty butt of industrial food system, and um, you know, didn't feel like I wanted to get bacterial infections all over my arms and legs anymore from you know, rat-infested grease traps. Um, but now I have a really awesome <laughs> filtered oil source from a really sweet man in my neighborhood who um, wants to support my activism, basically, and, and who organizes his own vegetable diesel. He organizes vegetable diesel for um, a couple of the farms near us and has really um, enabled me to do a lot of the travel for the film because... We don't have to pay. We're going to take the next exit because we don't have to pay um, the five dollars and seventeen cents that diesel used to cost. You know, just last winter, so we were able to drive all over um, and make the movie. Veggie oil is is um, it's certainly not the answer for everything, but it's a pretty a pretty sweet interim solution for those of us who are willing to go a little bit extra effort um, to. to try and ameliorate our carbon footprint. This is Greenhorns Radio. This is Severin. I'm your host. I'm the director of the Greenhorns. We are a small Hudson-based 
Hudson Valley-based nonprofit working to promote, recruit, and support young farmers nationally. We work in a lot of ways. We have a guidebook, a blog, a wiki. We do events. We make a movie. And we're trying, trying really hard to make sure that young farmers in America know of each other's existence and can connect with each other. And sometime in the near future, we will have a policy platform to present to our president. That's all for today.